I'm really excited because we want to talk about our sponsor. It's somebody I have a ton of respect for. It's Alex Morris, the Science of Hitting Investment Research Service, so TSOH. You might see that on his Twitter. Alex spent a decade working as an equities analyst. He was a buy-side equities analyst before he launched his own service. It's been a couple of years ago that, that Alex launched. And I've followed Alex on Twitter for a long time. Yeah, he's a great follow. He puts out a lot of high-quality equity research, and he gives 100% transparency into his portfolio decision-making. So if you uh, subscribe to his service, you'll, you'll get all the information about the decisions he makes in his own portfolio, the disclosure of all the changes, and why he made those decisions. One of the things we talked about both a lot is, especially for people with a regular job where investing is just a passion you have, and it's not like me where I, this is my full-time gig, being able to outsource that work to somebody that this is a full-time equities analyst is a, is a great thing to be able to do. And uh, you can have access, I believe, 349 bucks a year. Yeah. For that level of in-depth research and the transparency and track record that comes along with it, I think that's a pretty good deal. Some of the companies that Alex covers include Microsoft, Meta, Netflix, Disney, Roku, Match Group. And, and many others. You can find uh, TSOH Investment Research Service at thescienceofhitting.com. Again, thescienceofhitting.com. We'll have that in the show notes too if you want to be able to find it there. Hey everybody, it is time for another episode of The Smattering where we ask the hard questions about investing. Welcome back. I'm Jason Hall, joined as usual by the voice of the people, Jeff Santoro. Jeff Seppi, how are you, pal? <laughs> I am still a little under the weather like I was last week. And that's because we're recording this episode the day after we recorded last week's episode. So I have not been sick for a week. I've been sick since yesterday. That's right. That's right. So we are indeed recording this early. Today is August 22nd. We both got some travel that we're still doing, some time away that we're taking as we both get ready for the return of the school year. Jeff, I heard a podcast recently that was talking about the Magnificent Seven. So for those that don't know the Magnificent Seven, Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, NVIDIA, Tesla, and Meta platforms. These are the seven, I believe these are all the seven largest stocks in the US market. And they've all, I think, uniformly done incredibly well over the past year. And this show I was listening to, Jeff, the idea was it was a couple of pundits who were each, they were drafting their, their top three, and then they were going to have a contest for some period of time. And Jeff, I thought, I mean, how many people out there, you, you own S&P 500 funds, you own total mar market funds, so you already have really gigantic exposure to these companies already. What about finding companies that, Maybe you could own as alternatives to these that you're not already going to get a pretty big impact of the returns just based on your index fund. And we decided to do the magnificent mag the magnificent Ur seven, right? Yeah. And I'm mostly excited about this because of the ridiculous title, the magnificent Ur seven. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we're going to each come up with seven alternative. Well, we're each going to come up with one alternative to each of the seven stocks. We, we have not told each other what they are in advance. So there's a chance we have some of the same. And I think there's one that we might, I was going to guess. And I, 
I thought it might be fun, Jason. I don't know what you think about this. Why don't we put these little seven stock portfolios up on our Google sheet with this Matterfolio and compare it to the Magnificent Seven and just check up on it every once in a while and see how we're doing against those mega, mega tech stocks. So as we, as we roll through the fourth quarter of the year, approaching the fourth quarter of the year, we'll have our smattering 2023 portfolio contest and we'll also have the Magnificent Ur 7 contest. I love it. I absolutely love it. So yeah, we'll have a tab on the, the Google Sheet. I think it's a great idea, Jeff. Yeah, that'll make it more fun and then we can look back and hopefully I'll do better than I did with the unportfolio picks that I had in the smatterfolio. Jeff, before we get into that, just reminder to folks that have reviewed and rated our podcast and your podcast apps. Thank you for that. We appreciate it. Keep doing it. It certainly helps. The more reviews, the more ratings we get, the more people find the show and the more money we make on ad revenue. So always pushing for the money. I would just like people to hear the show, Jason. And here's what I can tell you that we have 54 reviews on Apple Podcasts and 56 reviews on Spotify. And we get that many listens in about the first half an hour that the podcast drops. So there are literally hundreds more listeners who could be giving us a five-star rating and making it more likely that when someone types investing podcast into those apps, ours pops up. So if anyone can help, I'd really appreciate it. And if the money thing that Jason says turns you off, just know that we have a 90-10 revenue split and I get most of it. I'm not going to correct Jeff on that. So Jeff, let's let's roll let's roll into the contest here. Again, we've both done some prep work independently of one another, which actually is pretty rare for us. Usually we're especially for a show, we prep together and we have the idea, but this one we definitely wanted to find out along with you, dear listeners, what each of us picked. So everybody's going to be finding out at the same time which stocks I picked, Jeff. And to be clear, we wanted we wanted think about to make- that one. What? Think about that one. Everybody's going to be finding out at the same time which stocks I picked. Oh, including you? Yeah. Including me. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, you should have put prep work in quotes talking about yourself. I um, did. This is a, po- it's a podcast. Jeff. Okay. All right. So, but the, I just want to make one thing clear. We, we, told, we decided the rules were you had to pick a stock that was semi-related to each of the seven. So it's not like you could pick seven energy stocks, right? We were trying to pick things that had some sort of comparable correlation with the Magnificent Seven. All right, why don't you go first? We'll just go in the order that we have them on our sheet here. So Apple's the first one we wrote down. So what is your Magnificenter stock instead of Apple? So Apple, obviously best known for the iPhones, the iOS universe of products, smartwatch now. But but really, I think the thing with Apple to me that has become so powerful is that it's one of the most powerful, valuable consumer brands on earth. It's built a business to really maximize the profitability of of that area, right? Because you think about tech and tech means you always have to be innovating. You always have to lead with the fastest, the bestest, best performing et cetera, et cetera. And that means you're always in this perpetual chase, right? Apple's built a business that's, I don't want to say immune from that, but but has proven, I mean, they, they basically make all of the profits in the, in the entire smartphone industry on the value of that, of that brand. And a company that comes to mind for me that's similar, that has immense loyalty and has proven to have really strong pricing power and I think still has 
pretty substantial room to run, even though it's grown enormously over the past four decades at this point and been a massive winner for investors is Starbucks. So ticker SBUX. And so again, we start with the brand. It's clear that Starbucks brand is recognizable essentially everywhere in the world, uh, has very loyal customers and has really defied expectations in terms of its ability to continue growing. I think you could have said the same thing about Apple multiple times over the past decade that the smartphone market is mature. It's, it's, it's how, how is Apple going to continue to grow? And then it comes out with part of it's been expanding into new product lines, like with the, the Apple watch, right. Is an area that it's grown into turning headphones into a many billions of dollars, highly profitable business. And to a, to a certain extent, Starbucks has done the same thing, right? Geographical expansion continues to be an important part of its business. Growing in China, China's finally come back. I think we actually did a video on our, our YouTube channel talking about how its China business looks like year over year. It's exploded. But the real thing, story there is that China has returned to more of a normal kind of economic environment, in-person environment. And that means that this market, which Starbucks has been clear about for five plus years, as being its most important growth market is kind of returned back to that growth. Jeff, the thing that I really like about Starbucks, maybe I wouldn't say the most, but that I think so important and underappreciated about its business, we talk about the loyalty, the brand power, the pricing power, the fact that it is a relatively inexpensive product. So it's the sort of thing that people are still going to get that treat, right? People still want to spoil themselves a little bit. It's that, that way to start the day. Maybe it's that break, you know, mid-morning. But the cost advantage, when you are the largest buyer of you know, the product in your category on the entire planet, and you move the mar market, it gives you really strong advantages in terms of costs, and that adds to the bottom line. And then from there, you look at their historic ability to take those profits, reinvest a substantial amount back in the business to grow it, but also pay a dividend, grow the dividend, and buy back shares. Again, all things that have been parts of the Apple formula for success. And I'm going to say Starbucks, because I think Starbucks as an alternative to Apple has all of those same things, but I think it has a much more clear line of sight to continue growing the business and growing per share value for investors. What about you? I like that pick because I never, when I was trying to think of what would be a comparable same kind of category to Apple, I did not think brand, but that was a really interesting way to go. I like that. Uh, I went a slightly different direction. I was trying to think about something that stayed in the tech world. And there's really no one that has the suite of products in the tech space or in the smartphone space that I would want to recommend or put my, put my money behind. So I would, then I started to think about, well, what about the components that go into making those devices? And I landed on ASML which is a Dutch manufacturer. And they basically make the machines that you need to make all semiconductor chips. So we're not going to go into deep dive into the semiconductor industry here, but essentially you need to, you need to have machines that do lithography, which is basically printing the, all of the stuff onto the chips. They do it. They have the high end way of doing it. They're the only company in the world that sells the machines that can do it. So all of those devices that you mentioned in your 
description of Apple, the iPhone, Macs, iPads, headphones, the new VR Vision Pro headset, all have semiconductors in them. And whoever manufactured them, whether it was Taiwan Semiconductor or Intel or any of the other companies, they all need to buy these multi-million dollar enormous machines from ASML in order to manufacture the chips. So a lot of people keep looking at Apple and thinking, when will the growth slow down? How much longer can they be considered to be a growth company? And they still put up massive numbers. But if they ever were to slow down, if they ever were to lose their edge, if they ever were to become more of a mature, slow grower, I think ASML is a really good alternative investment because as long as there are semiconductors, they're going to be an integral player in that chain. So I went with ASML. Yeah, there's 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 not a single tech product in, in the world, advanced tech product, that that's where it is in terms of compute power, Jeff, with, without the existence of, of ASML. You know, David Gardner's snap test, you snap your fingers and ASML is, dis- disappears. I, I don't know. I don't know what the tech world looks like. It's it's very different. I like that one. I like that approach. All right. So the next one on our list is Microsoft. And I think everyone's familiar with that. So where did you go as an alternative to Microsoft, Jason? So this is one that I struggled with a pretty good bit, Jeff. I really did. And first of all, there's been there's a lot of really successful software companies, right? You could look at Adobe Systems. You could look at Salesforce.com, right, with its suite of of CRM and other communications tools. You could cheat and and say, and one alternative to would be Alphabet, right? So steal from a stock on this list, and say because think about so many people productivity tools that people are using now instead of. Instead of Microsoft or are the, you know, the Google suite of, of, of tools. So, you know, you, but I decided to go in a different direction because one of the things that's growing with Microsoft's business and, and is, I think it's going to grow for a long time is the cloud, right? So you think about Azure, Amazon's AWS, Google cloud is, is huge and going to continue to be important as more and more businesses look to get their infrastructure out of their building or out of their own ownership, even if it's sitting in a data center and, and, and operate it remotely in the cloud, particularly as businesses come less and less centralized in terms of, of, of where they're locating. And one of the things that we're starting to see is more and more companies change how they're using the data that they, that they have and that they're building and trying to leverage that data in more effective ways. And one of the things that's an offshoot of that is data streaming. Okay, so real-time analysis of data, looking to take actions on actionable data as quickly as possible. And a company that's a leader in that area, an emergent leader, is Confluent. The ticker is CFLT. Confluent's a small company. Confluent is still burning operating cash. It, it went public, not as a SPAC, but it went public. It IPO'd kind of in the middle of the mania, right? Leveraged the timing pretty well. But Confluence plan to go public was one simply to raise as much capital as possible to get its products and to aggressively start taking share. 
in this emergent space while it's early. So the founders of, of Confluent, Jay Kreps is the CEO, and there's several other co-founders that are still there, worked at LinkedIn, Jeff, when, when they developed something called Apache Kafka, which is an open source data streaming software. And they made the decision to go open source with it. I don't know. I'm not an IP lawyer. I'm not an expert in it, but my guess is they said, well, we work for LinkedIn. So if we make this proprietary, LinkedIn's going to want a share of it, right? You make it open source, push it out there. And that immediately got a lot of people developing it too, right? And it's, and again, being open source versus proprietary because there are proprietary data streaming tools from some of the big cloud providers that are, that compete but getting open source immediately got hundreds and hundreds of people at some of the biggest companies in the world utilizing it and using it and working on it. Jeff, the reality is that most companies don't want to build their own thing, right? So Confluent basically built the tools for people to be able to use Kafka and just pay Confluent to do it. So they have um, the initial Kafka wasn't built for the cloud. It was built to be proximate, to run on servers locally. And they've, they've rolled out Kafka for the cloud. Again, still open source, but they've got, I think the majority of the S&P 500 uses Apache Kafka in some, at some level. But if you look at the growth numbers for Kafka cloud, it's growing at triple digit rates consistently, right? And they have a substantial amount of cash. One of the things we talk about when looking at companies Operating statements, particularly these growth companies, is well, is it pro is it profitable? Are they cash flow positive? And if the answer is no, then you have to ask the question of why. And Confluent is one of those companies that is choosing to continue to invest back into its business at above its operating cash flow to continue to take market share, to get to a larger scale. They went public to raise the money to do that, right? So they continue to choose to burn cash to grow. And I think it's the right decision. And I think if you want to own a tech company that's going to be heavily tied to the future of the enterprise and data, then Confluent is a, is a, is a wonderful company to own. All right. So I struggled with Microsoft as well because... When I think Microsoft, obviously there's the cloud component, but we have three stocks in this group that does cloud infrastructure. So I wanted to stay away from that. Actually, I did pick a, one for a different stock we're going to talk about later. But what I kept thinking about with Microsoft was software that's been around since the 80s. Because when Microsoft was really first on the scene, it was with PCs and the Windows operating system, and that was sort of their first act. And then there was those dark ages, and then they came back to cloud, and that's what revitalized the business under the current CEO. So thinking in that vein, I went in a different direction, and I chose Adobe, which was funny because you mentioned Adobe when you were yeah. doing your preamble about Microsoft. Admittedly, I had a thought that that might be the one that you went with. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of the company. I know you and I disagree on it a little bit. You're not as much of a fan of it. but Microsoft, one of their competitive advantages is that their 360 office software is pretty ubiquitous in the business world. I would, I would say the vast majority of computers in companies are probably PCs. 
they're all running Windows XP or w whatever the newest Windows is, which means they all also have Microsoft Teams. And there's that sticky software that you're already paying for, which keeps people in. And as, as they add things to it, they're just going to use them because they're there. And I think it's the same thing with Adobe. And that's a multi-platform, whether you're Mac or PC. But if you're doing creative work, if you're in advertising, if you're in creative design, if you're doing creative things, there's a good chance you're using Adobe products. Now they have some competition on the free side. I know we use Canva for some of the stuff we do here, and that's really easy and intuitive. They're trying to acquire Figma, which is another competitor, and that's still being played out in with the regulators. But to me, software that's been around a really long time, recurring revenue, subscription model, it's kind of ubiquitous within its its particular space. Adobe, to me, seems like a pretty good pick to pair up with Microsoft. And I'd be interested to see which one does better over the next several years. So I went with Adobe. Yeah. The thing I'm interested with Adobe to see is I think there's a lot of concern and fear that maybe artificial intelligence tools are going to vastly change the creative industry. To me, honestly, I think it's going to be a win for Adobe. I think they have... Yes. Right? Agreed. They've yeah. spent years working and building these tools and they've already integrated a lot of AI into multiple things that they provide. And at the end of the day, we, we often think of creatives as the people like doing the, the, the technical design and the drawing and all of that's true, but creatives are paid to do what they do because they come up with things yeah, and I, tools to help them be more creative. Right. And save yeah. And save time on the, on the, the, um, monotonous side of things. So right. I was looking on their website recently and granted you have to take with a grain of salt, anything the company puts out, they're going to put a positive spin on anything course, they're trying to do. And right now they're trying to talk about AI because everyone else is, but they basically say they, they already have a, a, a program out and features where you can type into the prompt, make this a nighttime background and it'll do it. Or yeah move the sun to the Eastern side of the sky and it will do that. So it'll, there are things it can do by using text prompts that uses artificial intelligence. And I'm assuming some of the same technology we see, we see with like Dolly and those, some of those ones that create artwork that still keeps the creative piece there because it's the creator that's coming up with the concept. But instead of spending hours shading and changing the color by clicking, AI can do that for you. So I'll wait and see if if that really pans out to be as as big of a feature set as they're pitching it as right now because everyone's trying to do that. But I do think it could end up being a net benefit rather than a than a uh, challenge for them. So next up is Alphabet, right? Yeah. So next one we have is Alphabet, and I'll let you go first on this one too. Yeah, I'll be I'll be honest with you. Like Alphabet of all of these companies for me is the one that I just want to be like, can we just keep it? Let's just, let's just keep it. So that's what I'm going to do, Jeff, because I know you have another stock. I know you have another stock. I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that because it's a contest. And if it's the same, then it'd be the same result. And that's, that's not good. And I get to go first, which means I get to pick the trade desk and you don't. So the trade desk. So here's the thing. Now there's a lot of different ways you could go with with an, an alphabet stock but at the end of the day alphabet's business 
essentially all of it besides the, the, the cloud business, you know, that it's, that it's trying to build Google cloud is, is revenue based. So you've got YouTube that's become this massive business and it has a subscription service too, but they don't even think, I don't think they disclose yet the, the subscription revenue. They talk about ad revenue for everything, right? So essentially what that means is that you guys are all the product. Those of you watching this on our YouTube channel, you're the product when it comes to, to Alphabet's business, right? So that's, that's what brings me to the trade desk. And it's thinking about it from a little bit different perspective. So Alphabet is with, with its products. Again, you use those products. So you, be, you become the product itself to the advertisers that pay, that pay the revenue in. The way the trade desk works is it has built a wonderful platform that uses a lot of technology to provide the marketers who have their big ad campaigns access to the best markets for their ads. And of course, digital ad content, programmatic ad content are growing parts of, of their business. But Jeff, the thing that's so impressive to me about the trade desk is they actually just make money for the services that they provide. They're not buying up a bunch of ad inventory and then marking it up and trying to make a profit on that. They're so deeply enmeshed um, in the advertising world that companies that could be their biggest competitors, you think about the, the ad agencies, because again, Trade Desk is looking up market. They're looking for big companies with multi-million dollar ad budgets. That's who they, that's who they work with. So they position themselves to, to go after the largest number of ad, ad dollars for their services, which means that it seems like they might be directly competing with the, the ad agencies. The largest ad agencies are partners with the trade desk, right? Because it helps them make, make more money. And, and I just, I can't think of any other company in the entire ad space globally that, that I think is better positioned to continue to take share as the ad market evolves away from things like linear TV and print ad to this newer programmatic driven model and even moving into like, like stores. I know they've done some things with like Albertsons and other supermarket chains to help brands like from the point of exposure to the, to the initial marketing in the store, right? Where you see the, see the digital display ad to seeing the product on the shelf and, and, and going through the full cycle of, of the buy. It's just nobody has better, more accurate data for marketers, and they're willing to pay a premium to, to get access to the trade desk. And that has carried over to shareholders, right? If you look at the per share growth of earnings for this company over time, revenue growth, even through this tough ad cycle, Jeff, that we went through, the trade desk has just continued to take market share and continue to grow uh, larger and larger business. So I was going to take the trade desk for either Google or Meta, but I didn't. I actually did not. I did not pivot in the moment. I did not have it on my list. I knew you would take it. And it oh, was you too, played me. It was too on the nose. I wanted to go a little bit different. And I also picked this company to trigger you. Oh boy. So when I was thinking Phobatic. when I no, when I was thinking about Alphabet, I had the same thought you did, which is this one of all the ones that are in here is the hardest to poke holes in, I think. And ironically, it's one of the ones I don't own, but that's why I'm happy I have a lot of index funds because I know I own it there. Yeah. But every time I look at this business, I'm just like, how does this not continue to crush it forever? It's, it, they have so many competitive advantages. They are, they are the leader in multiple places. It's ridiculous. YouTube alone 
is a multi-billion dollar company. And it's, my kids watch YouTube constantly. So I'm just like bombarded by their market dominance. But I went in a little bit of a different direction. I stuck with the advertising theme. I did not want to go with the trade desk. And I wanted to trigger you. So I chose Roku. Oh, God. Well, you know what? Have fun being poor. So, which is what you text me every time I ever like a stock you don't like, which is to me a bullish indicator. Just so everyone listening knows, if I reach out to Jason with an idea and he hates it immediately, it, I have to stop myself from going and buying it right away. So Roku has been through a rough couple, year plus, two years now. The stock's down huge. They definitely are having their struggles. But the three metrics that they judge their business on, which are users, streaming hours, and uh, ARPU, are all still heading in the right direction. And I think we are heading to a world where there is only going to be a few ways people access streaming television. And it's going to be through a device or a TV that has a user interface that's easy to use, like Roku does. Now, I know there's Apple TV. I know there's the, the Fire products by Amazon. And I know there's some smaller ones that might come with a particular brand of television. But I think in the end, the user interface is going to matter. And I think it's going to come down to probably those big three of Roku, Apple, and Amazon. And they might be the three that are out there. You might, there might not have to be a winner there. But anyway, it shakes out. That's, there, there are enormous advertising opportunities for Roku in right on that home screen when you log on. The buttons on the remote are even an advertising thing. They get money off of those. And I think as the advertising market improves and connected and streaming TV becomes more and more of the way things go, they stand to benefit through selling ads and ultimately even making some money when people subscribe to the services on their device. So if you're on your Roku and you want to sign up for Amazon, that's not Amazon. If you want to sign up for uh, Netflix, you can do it all through the Roku and it, and, they, and it goes to your credit card, which is already in. It's very simple and they take a cut. So I don't know. They, they've had a hard time. I'm not super bullish on the company, but I wanted to go in a little bit of a different direction. So my Google alternative is Roku. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, I think there's a case there. I don't think it's a super strong case. My concern with Roku, again, compared to an Alphabet, is it doesn't have, it's not, it's not a a leader, a large leader like Alphabet is in multiple categories, and it's questionable whether it can. For one simple reason, it's competing in this category against Apple and against Amazon that we're going to talk about up next here in, in, a, in a category where it's trying to be the pure play and that this is just like an, oh, by the way, let's make our ecosystem bigger thing. Let's, we'll throw money at it, whatever kind of thing. And I just don't know if they're going to continue to be able to hold the line and create margins for that. But I, I've, I've, I've been wrong before. Yeah, if it could happen again. All right, let's move on. Amazon is next. Where did you, which direction did you go in for Amazon? So again, this, this is one that, you know, I, there's some, there's some obvious ways to go here. You could go streaming or, or not streaming. You could go with data with AWS and look at an alternative there, but well, the two competitors are already there and, and I've already gone with Confluent instead of Microsoft. So 
All right. Well, what about what about e-commerce? So there's you could go with you know a, a, a number of companies there that build websites that companies can use for commerce. You could go with Shopify, right? That's maybe that's an obvious one. This is a stock that's still down, but like here's a cool stat from Shopify: one out of a ten e-commerce transactions in the United States happens on a Shopify powered website, right? That's a pretty big competitor. But you know what? Let's go in a completely, completely different direction. What do you say? I'm dying to hear this. You ready? You ready? Physical retail is dead. Long live the mall. I'm going to go with Simon Property Group here. Of course you are. So full disclosure, full disclosure, I was tempted to go with Tanger Factory Outlets. And you could go with you could go with either. I think in this case, I'm I'm a little bit kind of leaning into the value pitch here with Simon versus Tanger. I think it's down eight percent from its high this year, but it's way up right from the beginning of the year. But Simon stock is still down from where it was. I don't know back before the pandemic. I think it's forty two percent below its its pre pandemic price, and Tanger actually broke its pre pandemic price earlier this year. So Jeff, I think the reality is just as much as with Apple is the, the idea that Apple's growth is over and it's not going to grow as fast as it was, right? And as much as the idea that 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 Amazon, maybe they're not going to be able to take share in, in e-commerce. We keep seeing that that's wrong and they're showing that they can make money in e-commerce too now, right? They've kind of started squeezing the profit dials a little bit more. I think, again, the idea that people aren't going to go to physical in-person malls is, is, is also a false narrative. So Simon, what do they do? They're the largest owner of class A malls in the U.S. So what is that? That's the malls people actually go to, right? The ones that are in affluent areas, the ones that are continually high traffic. So that's Simon's core business, right? The other thing that they have is the largest premium outlets business in the entire in the, in the US. You think about Tanger, that's their entire business. Simon has a division that's bigger than Tanger Factory Outlets, right? So that's really important because what we've seen happen, Jeff, both with the traditional mall and there's still struggles there, right? Because we do see the the big retailers continue to kind of muddle along. Macy's continues to struggle, right? And it's kind of the last of of the big of the big chains and they're starting to lean into some smaller store footprints and that sort of thing. What we are seeing is that more clothing manufacturers, apparel manufacturers, sports, sporting goods, electronics manufacturers, they have an omni-channel focus, which means that they don't want to just have their products in a Macy's or formerly a Sears or a Kmart or a Walmart or whatever. They want to have their own stores. Right. And that really fits into the the factory outlets model. Right. And we're seeing it more starting to creep into into the malls as well. They want to be online. They don't want to just be on Amazon. Uh, right. So that means that a business like Simon, because they are so large, has a little bit of leverage. Right. As a trusted partner for these large brands where they the, the markets that Simon is in, they're the markets that that these retailers and that these brands want to be in too. So it's really, it's really impressive what they've built. And, and getting back to a value play here, this is a stock that's down substantially. 
They had to cut their dividend back during the financial or during the, the, the pandemic. But the dividend is slowly, slowly coming back. I think it's like already about within 10% of, of where it was back in 2019, the last dividend they paid in 2020. So the dividend's coming back. The stock still hasn't come back. So thinking about the yield that you can capture, this concern about interest rates haven't gone up because they use debt, right? They're going to have to refinance that debt. It's going to weigh on their cost of capital. But you look at other metrics, they report like sales for, per square foot, sales dollars per square foot, continue to move higher. Traffic's still really, really good. That's my, that's my oddball, oddball instead of Amazon. What's old is new again. Yeah, I, I do like that pick. That is going in a different direction. I, I'm with you in the idea that the malls aren't dead. So I can see where you were coming from with that one. So I, what was hard about this whole thing, just looking at this whole exercise we're doing here, is that so many of these companies do a lot of the same things as each other. Yeah, there's there's three of them that do cloud infrastructure. E-commerce is a part of of at least a couple of these. If you, you could even maybe throw Apple in there, like they sell stuff online. And then you have semiconductor threads that run through a lot of these. So I struggle. Yeah, they're with all the they're all designing their own silicon nowadays, right. right? For their stuff. Amazon so struggle. Amazon's fastest growing businesses is is advertising. Right? Yep. It's, it's, yep. Yeah. 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 So that was my struggle too. Like, do I go e-commerce? Do I go advertising? I did think about that. Do I go cloud? And I, and this was the one where I used my cloud, my cloud play. I, yeah. I skipped it for Microsoft. I, I skipped it for, for Alphabet. And I'm going with DigitalOcean. Okay. So DigitalOcean is a two, $3 billion market cap company that basically does what AWS does, but for small and medium-sized businesses. So they're value proposition or their pitch to their customers is this. If you're a huge company and you need cloud infrastructure, you're probably fine going to Amazon or Google or Microsoft. But if you are a small business with one, two, five, 10 employees, you don't have an IT department, but you need cloud infrastructure, they're there for you with low priced options. You can start for like $5 a month or something really crazy, really low like that. And there's a ton of support. There's transparent self-serve pricing. So you can go on, watch tutorials, pay for what you need. When you need more, you can just log on and pay for it and you get it. And their short time on the market, their growth has been really impressive. So I'm just going to throw a couple numbers at you. In the it, Since they've been a public company, the revenue growth has never once been below 27% year over year. Their large customers, which they call builders and scalers have never grown less than 16% year over year. And in the last quarter, it was 43%. Their net dollar retention rate remains above hundred percent. So current customers are spending more this year than they were last year. And their average revenue per user has never grown slower than 14% year over year. And it's usually in the twenties or thirties. So just every quarter, everything heads up in the right direction. The one thing I would say is a lot of those numbers I just throw at you are starting to slow down. Some of them were higher a year ago than they are now. So that's something to keep an eye on if that's going to tail off or reverse or continue to, to head in the wrong direction. But I think they have a pretty compelling business model. I worry they might get acquired by one of the big players or once maybe they become big enough that they're actually a threat. I also think they have to learn to grow with their customers, right? Because every every mega cap started as a small business. Yeah. So if you get to the point where 
DigitalOcean, hey, they were great for the first 10 years of our business, but now we need Microsoft. Well, that's not going to be great for them. So there's some risk here, and it's a newer, smaller company. But if they really can capture this this niche and be the cloud provider for smaller businesses, I think that's a pretty compelling compelling market to play in. And it's a direct competitor in that sense to all of these big companies, cloud businesses. Yeah, I, I like that. And and I think looking at it like with, with Amazon is interesting because think about all of the entrepreneurs out there that Amazon has, as much as it's been a competitor, it's also been like a means to thrive with fulfilled by Amazon for you know small sellers to be able to build a business, right? In retailing. So that's that's really good. And I think there's also a case of another company that kind of did the same thing and has learned to evolve with its 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 customers. And that's Shopify that I mentioned earlier, because you know, there was a tremendous amount of concern that as like Allbirds, for example, and se- there are several other companies that started out just as Shopify stores, right? Selling their products. As they grew and they got to a point where they went public on their own, Shopify did continue to move up market and and develop offerings for the enterprise too. So yeah, I think I think that's what's going to happen. I really do. I think they're smart enough to realize that that that's going to be the right way to go. They've, and, they've just got to prove that they've just got to prove that there's a good business doing what they're doing now. And it, I didn't mention these metrics on my little spiel, but when you read their conference calls and their earnings reports they point out where they are growing with their customers. So the early returns on that have been pretty good. They have to just be able to keep doing it. All right, let's, we got, we're already about 40 minutes in, so we'll try to go maybe a little bit quicker on these last couple so we don't run long. All right, next on our list is, I will try to go quicker. I know it's impossible for you. All right, next is NVIDIA. What'd you have? I'm pretty sure you know what I'm going to say here. How much? This might be the one where we did choose the same, but let's go and see. Let's say it. Say the one you think that I'm going with. Texas Instruments. Yes, exactly. That's what I, I picked it as well. That's remarkable. So <laughs> let's talk about what Texas Instruments is first. I think we've talked about this one on. Did we, we talk did about on this last, on, on last yes, week? We talked pod. about this yesterday on last week's last episode. Week's pod, right. So Texas Instruments is the is the alternative to, to Nvidia, and again, it's a little bit like kind of thinking about like Simon Property Groups versus Amazon. It's kind of you know what is old, what's old is new. You think about Nvidia. This is a company that designs. It's, it's silicon, doesn't manufacture anything, right? Requires, require, relies heavily on contract manufacturers, in particular, Taiwan Semiconductor to manufacture the actual chips. So, so that's a big difference. NVIDIA sells products to, to retail, right? So you buy one of their video cards, you're going to go into a Best Buy or you're going to order it from Amazon or Newegg or one of those sorts of retailers. You're, you're going to buy it. If you're going to buy something from Texas Instruments, you're probably going to buy directly from Texas Instruments. You're probably going to do it on their website, right? So they make everything themselves. They design everything themselves. They sell it directly in most cases, not only, but mostly. That massive vertical integration, fully vertically integrated, is is something that has become a rarity, particularly in the semiconductor space, right, Jeff? Taiwan Semi exists because companies don't want to vertically integrate for a lot of reasons, right? The cost, cyclicality, all of that kind of stuff. And then the other thing is the fact that Texas Instruments business focuses almost entirely on analog semiconductors. You've got these these old dumb chips that are so damn important to everything. If you're managing power, if your, your, your semiconductor is, your technology is communicating with the real world, right? You have to have analog semiconductors to do all of that autonomous vehicles, even just your 
your Honda Accord or Civic has lots of analog semiconductors to do things like to make the brake lights turn on, manage power. It's it's such a remarkably important business. I don't know the exact number, so this is I may be wildly off, but I think it's something like for every every digital semiconductor that goes into a device or some the the that goes into a device or something like three analog semiconductors that are required, right? It's this enormous, um, enormous number. So economic returns, Jeff, I want to talk about this real quick. This has been a massive winner since its former CEO, who just, just recently retired, tried to retire a number of years ago, had to come back because the guy he tapped to replace him didn't, did, there was just some bad things happen. He came back and the person that's replaced him looks like it's going to work out really, really well. Bought back a massive amount of shares, grown the dividend, built a stronger business, and continue to demonstrate just just an amazing, just the, the amazing economics, but also just a moat that they have built around this business. And here's one indicator. I mean, you said everything I, I would have said, but just better. But here's one indicator that I think tells you what the market <laughs> thinks about Texas Instruments. So the one thing I would point to as something to keep an eye on over the past three to five quarters is a lot of things are slowing down. Revenue gr growth is slowing. Actually, re revenue growth has been negative the last three quarters. Mm -hmm. Operating profit, same thing. But at the same time, the company's valuation has gone up, at least on a earnings multiple. So as revenue growth and operating profit have declined, price to earnings has increased. Yep. So that says to me, the market is being smart and knows that this is just the cyclical aspect of the business and they'll right, be fine. Right. And it actually makes it hard to want to buy it. If it's like intuitive, you're like, oh, it's down, but I love this business. I'm going to buy more. And then you go look at the valuation and it's like, well, it's not that cheap. So I think that says something about the, the durability of this company that it, it hasn't really cratered even as their results. I mean, if, if you saw three consecutive quarters of dropping revenue growth for a SaaS company, it would drop 30% after earnings. That just hasn't happened yeah. with Texas Instruments. Yeah, because again, like you said, I think the market realizes what it has here, but also Texas Instruments has some things in the works that are going to even strengthen its moat, drive down its costs, potentially give it better cost advantages by moving to a larger form factor in some of its newer manufacturing facilities. And it just keeps building on that, on that moat that it has and that edge that it has, Jeff. So it might be my favorite stock of all the stocks in here. Interesting. All right. Next up is Tesla. And I felt a little bit of PTSD here since I chose it in the unportfolio for our other contest and it's crushing it. But uh, interesting. I'm curious to see where you went. I hope we didn't pick the same one for this as well. So go ahead. We didn't, we didn't pick the same one unless you pick Solar Edge. Did you pick Solar Edge? So no, but I'm not far off from that. So go ahead. Interesting. So of course, Tesla's core business is making cars and that's going to be its core business probably for a lot longer than, than a lot of the, the, the most bullish people might expect. The ideas of generating the revenue from autonomous vehicle fleets and all of that kind of stuff is like hanging out there, but, and a lot of it's priced into it, but it's, it's far less clear whether those things are really going to pay off. It talks about AI and robotics and all of those things that are out there. And Tesla's been like the, 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 the exception that proves the rule in the auto industry and, and, and being a big, big winner. There's in most of our lifetimes, unless we've got listeners that are a hundred years old, that most of us have never lived through a period where we've seen enormous 
investing wins in, in the automaker business like this, especially from like a startup growth business. There's been some turnarounds and stuff like Chrysler, for example, back in the, in the eighties was a big turnaround win, but it's just a tough, grindy, low margin competing on price, really, really hard business when you're mass producing automobiles, automobiles for, for a large market, for the mass market. Right. So the reason I went with with SolarEdge is because there's an area of the auto industry that has actually been pretty good to invest in, and that's kind of in the suppliers. The the most automakers don't make automobiles; they assemble them, right? They they have third party contract manufacturers that that are their suppliers that supply all of the parts, the hundreds and hundreds of things that they need, and then the automakers assemble those parts in their factories. Of course, Tesla has kind of, you know, they vertically integrated where they make a lot of stuff themselves and they don't outsource it as much. But most automakers are globally going to continue to source stuff. And SolarEdge, of course, best known for their panel level solar electronics, Jeff, making the inverters and also the power management that goes on the solar panel. And between SolarEdge and Enphase, they have like a massive share of the market in that for distributed residential and distributed commercial solar in the US and increasingly in Europe and kind of using that same supplier model that's been successful in the auto industry. They've done the same thing in the solar industry to get really good margins and generate great cash flows and enormous wins for investors. But SolarEdge is also starting to diversify using their understanding of DC current and AC current right with their inverters to develop products for the automotive industry, for, for powertrain in the automotive industry. So they're starting to kind of leverage into that. They've moved into battery technology too, again, because of where they sit in kind of the, the, the value chain for alternative energy and renewable energy. They're in a really good place to be a trusted partner for a lot of different providers, whether you're an installer, whether you're a manufacturer of, of a solar panel, whether you're you know, an EV manufacturer looking for reliable su suppliers. They're really kind of in that sweet spot. And th this is a stock that's given, given back some gains, right? It hasn't necessarily been the best performer. It's down, I don't know, what is it down over the past? It's down by half, I think, over the past year, right? It's down a pretty, pretty good amount. A ton of these solar stocks and renewable stocks jumped when the, the Inflation Reduction Act was packed, passed because it's got all these things in there for renewables. But it just takes time for those things actually to turn into a pipeline of revenue. And the business is kind of turned. We talked about the cyclicality with the semiconductor industry. It's the same thing. This is a cyclical industry and rising interest rates have put some headwinds for the solar business. And it's, I think it's pushed the stock back to, I think it's still expensive, but I think it's a far more reasonable valuation now for a business with really great economics, great optionality. And, and they've kind of proven that they can move into other spaces. And I, and I think they're going to move into the automotive industry as a supplier. And I'd be just absolutely stunned if this stock isn't a bigger winner than Tesla over the next five years. What'd you, what'd you go with? I can't hear you. There you are. Something happened. So pretty much the same, but different. I went with Enphase Energy. Okay. Now, right. I only know this company a little bit because it's on my watch list. So I've been kind of looking at the numbers and keeping track of it, but I haven't really dug in. But my understanding is they their big thing is the microinverters, which you mentioned with solar edge too. And, and right. just my very basic understanding is that that helps your solar roof become more efficient because if one panel is underperforming, it doesn't 
uh, degrade the performance of the entire solar panel. Right. right? And you don't right. have a single point of failure for the entire solar system. Right. It's it's easier to manage for emergency responders, right? All of there's yeah, they're 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 required, right? They're they're part of the building code now, so they're required. And those are the two companies. That's the duopoly, basically. Right. And this has been on my radar for a while, mostly because when I when I made my spreadsheet, like I like to do with all my numbers, I was just blown away at how consistently profitable and cash generative the business is. Just the last couple quarters alone, over $200 million in free cash flow each quarter. Now it's down 62% from its late 2022 high, which I think is for some of the same reasons you just mentioned with, with your pick. But I had the same thought you did. Like if I'm looking at car companies for, for an alternate to Tesla, I don't like as investments, I don't like any other car companies. So I was thinking, well, Tesla does solar too. And that, that was the only solar stock I'm really that familiar with. And I'm not that familiar with it. So yeah, I don't want to repeat the things you said, but I'm still keeping an eye on this. I, I just haven't quite pulled the trigger on it yet, but I find it compelling. I think it's interesting. I, I wish we had more solar panel roofs around. I like, I like the renewable energy angle here. I'd like to have one if I could. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's why I chose Enphase Energy. So between, I'll, I'll be honest, between Enphase and SolarEdge, I like the Enphase pick better in terms of probably going to be a, potentially a better performer. Disclosure, I have, solar, I have Enphase microinverters on my roof. I have an Enphase battery system in my basement. Um, they have a head start over SolarEdge in, in batteries, so they're in a better position there. The reason I went with SolarEdge in this case is that it has that automotive play. Yeah. Yeah. That it's Tesla, more of the Tesla thing, and yours is shitty in that regard. But no, great, great pick. Great pick. I love it. All right. Last one. Meta Platforms, formerly known as Facebook. This is the one I almost went trade desk on back when, when I was doing my picks, because they, you know, their whole business is built around advertising as well. And they're, they are one of the walled gardens that the trade desk kind of fights against. But I did not pick the trade desk. I will reveal my pick after you give yours, Jason. Who did you choose to be magnificenter to Meta? Okay. Are you ready? I am ready. Hope you're sitting down. Alphabet. You can't do that. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can't. I'm not keeping. I'm not keeping alphabet for alphabet, but I'm using. I'm I'm using it instead. You are instead a dirty of cheater. You're a dirty cheater. I'll let. I'll allow it because. Okay. I, I'll allow it, but go ahead. So again, like like I said when we talked about when we talked about alphabet before, of all of the stocks in the magnificent seven, I think there's still a clear clear case for alphabet to continue to grow right? We continue to see the advertising industry continue to evolve. Digital ads continue to become a bigger share of, of spend. You've, we talk a lot about programmatic ads, right? So ads that are shifting from linear TV to these more find the user, follow the user, give them the more direct targeted ad for display situations. So things like YouTube TV, for example, but also for YouTube and all of the, like the Roku on the Roku, like all of those sorts of places where programmatic ads are being served. And the thing that makes Alphabet so compelling to me is the walled garden, right? Because they are so well positioned, whether it's search or whether it's content that, that is 
essentially no cost for it to produce like so much of the stuff that's on YouTube where people do it to get a share of that ad revenue, right? So it's a model that keeps their costs low and their expenses increase, right? As, as the things are more successful, right? So you're not leveraged to like Disney where you're spending hundreds of millions of dollars to produce a piece of content. And if it's not successful, you lose massive sums of money, right? If something's not successful, you're not the one that developed it. So now that's starting to change a little bit as they're buying content for like YouTube TV and signing for sports deals and, and that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, I think that in terms of like the ad business, social media, again, YouTube's kind of social media as well, right? On our videos, we get, have people yell at us. Apparently a few people think that I'm either the son of Robert E. Lee or I'm Amish based on my hair. And they've told us through YouTube, right? So you have that interactivity, which I think is really, really fun. And it's still a growth platform. And I think you look at something like meta platforms and it's far more mature, right? We have threads that's coming, right? But it's, it's replacing a product that was a commercial garbage in terms of like a monetizable product with Twitter, right? Twitter was acquired because the owners wanted to sell it because it was kind of a garbage business. So threads is not much, it's not going to be a big catalyst for it. So I just think it checks off all of the boxes of what would I rather have instead of meta platforms. And well, Jeff, since I've already replaced alphabet with the trade desk, why, not, why can't I replace meta with alphabet? So I'm going to. I will leave it to the listeners to share oh, with. I'm going to catch hell and I can't wait. If, if they think you violated the spirit of this game, by choosing one of the Magnificent Seven to be in the Magnificenter Seven. I'll leave it at that. The audience okay. will decide. But it is Magnificenter. And if you can't tell me, you can't tell. Okay. Tell me. Which is Magnificenter? Meta Splatforms or Alphabet? You're right. You're right. And if I was going to pick the most Magnificent of the Magnificent Seven, I might go with, I might go with Alphabet. So I see where you're coming from. I don't disagree with you in spirit. I just think had I known that was an option, I might have done the same thing. But maybe I'm just not creative enough. I wasn't thinking outside the box like you were. Now I'm a dirty, rotten cheater. I was inside the box thinking. Jeff, let's All hear right. it. You, get, you got a good one, I'm sure. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I have another one that... So again, I, I chose these before we had the idea to like make this an actual contest. I just want to caveat that. But when I was thinking meta, I was thinking two things. It's a social media platform that, in my opinion, does more harm than good. And it's built on advertising. So when I thought about those two things, I thought about a company that is a social media platform that is pretty positive and doesn't really have much negative about it and is also built on advertising, and that is Pinterest. So it has the same social network network effects that make it compelling, right? The more people that are on Pinterest pinning photos, the more people come to Pinterest to get inspired, then 
makes more people want to post more photos and then more people come. So you can see where that flywheel is to grow, grow the user base. And it's people are buying ads and placing their pins above others. Now, what's interesting about Pinterest is they're in this sort of transitional phase now where they're trying to not get rid of the advertising model, but build on top of it a shopping model so that if you go to Pinterest to search for inspiration for your parents' 50th wedding anniversary and you see a really cool banner, happy anniversary, and you you can click on it and go right to the page to buy it and buy it there. And Pinterest takes a cut of that transaction versus you saying, oh, I like that. Let me go find it on Amazon where Pinterest gets nothing. So they're trying or to Or even reduce... if it takes you to Amazon and there's right. an affiliate, but if it's pay, a, whatever Yeah, but it if it's is, an affiliate, right, yeah, right exactly. Yeah, so either yeah. way, they're getting, they're getting a little bit of, a little taste of the action, so to speak. Yeah, right. So if they can, and advertising is down right now with a lot of these businesses. So if, if advertising can, will come back eventually, and if they can really make, get some traction with re- reducing the friction for people to buy stuff through or from the platform so they can make a little money on that, I think it's a compelling stock to look at. Now I bought it way too expensive. So I have it and my position's down drastically. It is down from its all-time high still 70%. Yeah. But it's been up-ish a little lately, you know, in the last like year and a half, like a year, maybe like a year since like last summer. So I'm wondering if maybe this is where it should be priced for, you know, considering what it, what it offers as an investment. And if I were thinking of it as a actual competitor in a stock picking contest to Meta, I, I picked Meta in our unportfolio because I thought it would have a rough year. I didn't think the year of efficiency was anything more than Mark Zuckerberg blowing smoke, but it turns out he actually meant it and they became more efficient. Yeah. And, but, and, and the ad market's gotten a little bit better too. Right. So right. Both, both of those things have happened. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know. I could see a world where over the next five or 10 years, Pinterest does as well as as Meta, especially off of a much smaller, it's a smaller company too. So that, that helps as well in terms of overall growth. So yeah, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Jeff. I was, I was leaning Pinterest and as much as anything, I've kind of expected you to go with Pinterest. And that was part, kind of part of the reason I decided to go with, with Amazon. In addition to the fact that it just makes for such good drama, but back to Pinterest, I think this is clearly kind of a turnaround at this point, right? We know that like their monetizability with ads is not great. As much as it's primed to be that, the problem is people aren't going there for ads. They're going there for ideas and ways to act on them, which either is to get the pin or just to spend the money and buy the stuff that they see in the pin, right? Yeah. So, and their, and their average revenue per user compared to Facebook or to Meta is pennies. Yeah. I don't remember the exact number, but it is five, six it's, times lower. It's, it's, yeah. it's, they're nowhere near that ballpark in terms of monetizing it's, their users. And they have a huge user base. They have a huge right. user base. They do. They do. It's either 5% or 10%, the ARPU in, in like the North America, but it's, it has a massive, massive room to, to grow it. So I, li- I like that idea. I really do. I like, I like that one a lot. So let's, let's go through them again. I'm going to, Jeff, I'm going to read my magnificent Earth 7 and you can read yours. So first with Alphabet, my alternative was Starbucks. Yours was Apple, not Alphabet. Apple. Sorry, with to Alphabet. My my alternative to Alphabet. My alternative to Apple was Starbucks. Yours was ASML. And then with Microsoft, I went with Confluence, and you and went I, with Adobe. Alphabet. I went with Trade Desk. You went with Roku. 
And then Amazon, I went old school, Simon Property Group, group you went with? Digital Ocean. I love that. I really do love that one. NVIDIA, I went with Texas Instruments. You also went with, with, with Texas Instruments. Love it. Love it. And Tesla, we both, man, we went so similar on this. And uh, with Tesla, I went with Solar Edge because they have the solar stuff. They have the alternative energy stuff. And they also have something in the automotive space as a supplier. And you went with? Enphase. The renewable energy company. Meta Platforms. I went with Alphabet. Because you're a dirty cheater. Piss. I am. I'm a dirty cheater. I'm going to win. And Jeff, you went with Pinterest. So Jeff, those are those are our those are our. I can't even say those are our 14 stocks because I cheated, but that's okay. Now we have an unlucky number thanks to you. All right, so we would like the audience to either make fun of our picks, preferably make fun of our picks, especially Jason's, but also. This is this is not a word. Seven. and. Yeah, this is yeah, and. All right, fine, and. But send us your seven. If you want to play along, tweet us, tweet at us, or uh, send us an email, or find us on Common Stock, or get in touch with us somehow, and let us know what your seven were. I'm curious if anyone had even more interesting off-the-wall choices for the Magnificent Seven. And if we get anything interesting, maybe we'll, we'll mention a couple on one of the future episodes. Here's an idea. Jeff, and maybe maybe this is a future show. Maybe in a month or two, we'll do this as a show. Maybe your future Magnificent Seven, maybe the stocks you think that are not the seven largest now, maybe five years from now, they could be the largest. That might be, might be fun. So like it. All right, Jeff, we, we, went, we went long, so we're not going to do a B segment today. I do want to say before we, before we wrap things up, those of you that normally, you know, our, our, our last show of the month, first show of the month is an update of the portfolio contest. We're recording this a week in advance. We're going to be, both of us are going to be on vacation. So wait till next week and we're going to have a quick update of the portfolio contest. Jeff, we did it, buddy. We did it. All right, everybody. As always, we love to share our answers to these hard questions about investing and the fun ones too, like which are the more magnificent. Wait, no, 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 no. I didn't do that right, Jeff. Which are the magnificent or seven? Thank you. Stocks to own. But it is up to you to find your magnificent Earth 7 stocks. And I believe in you. You can do it. All right. We'll see you next time, Jeff. See you next time.